Welcome to The Hammer Factor, where we help successful athletes and professionals share their genius with the world. I'm John Grace, your host here at The Hot Seat, and now it's time to light this fire. All right, welcome to this episode of The Hammer Factor. In the hot seat today, we have true pioneer of River SUP, adventure bus owner, and river engineer. Welcome to the show, Spencer Lacey. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, man. Uh, I've been excited to do this one for a while. It's been on the burner, and I figured, you know, we got some time right now. What are you doing to occupy yourself these days? Oh, uh, just, you know... I'm working a lot and I'm trying to get out in the sunshine as much as I can while social distancing, of course, and, uh, you know, spending some time with friends on, on video calls and whatnot, taking care of some odds and ends, planning some adventures. Mm, Good time for planning. Yeah. Before we get too deep into this, uh, what can you tell our audience something that maybe they don't know about you? Um, yeah, I, uh, actually played classical piano for eight years, um, when I was a teenager, I was really into it. My mom had my brother and I started at a young age and, um, we performed at recitals, um, actually traveled to Ireland for, um, a tour performing classical piano. So that was a pretty big part of my childhood. So do you have a piano in your house right now? Oh, yeah. And is it like a wall style or is it a big grand piano? What do you play on? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a wall style. Um, I, I actually don't own one myself. It's the, one, it's the same one that I learned, um, learned on growing up. So it's my mom's piano. And uh, yeah, I mean, I still practice here and there, but um, not like I used to. There you go. God, I wish I, you know, I tried to learn an instrument when I was younger for some reason, my neighbor had a French horn, and he tried to teach me how to play it, and I just <laughs> never could get it. <laughs> yeah. One of these days. Um, all right, so let's start from the beginning. Before you were grand, you know, taking your SUP down the Grand Canyon and whatnot, um, where are you from, and how did you, how did you get into Whitewater? Yeah, so definitely a unique childhood. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, um, and... Uh, I have an older brother who's two years older than me, and um, um, so family of four, and we, actually our house is right on Boulder Creek, um, close to downtown Boulder. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Boulder Creek, but um, I call it the most underrated section of whitewater in the country. Um, it's not really known for its paddling, but it's really, really awesome, especially for locals. Um, so yeah, r- literally right on Boulder Creek, we have a beach down down by the creek that we hang out on we have a hot tub right next to the creek um it flows has really great flows for pretty much every single may june july for paddling of any sort we take friends down the creek um so that was my first real intro was uh my dad threw me in a kayak when i was uh, about five years old and took me down boulder creek um and uh yeah so um my family has a big whitewater background. My dad grew up kayaking. Um, his dad got him into it. Um, pretty epic, uh, um, family, family connection to whitewater. Um, so definitely has been, been a huge part of my life since, since I can remember. 
what did the uh oh man i don't know how many years ago it was but there was a huge flood on that creek some years back wasn't there like a thunderstorm flood oh yeah yeah uh 2013 um <clears throat> i i was going to school um university of colorado boulder so i actually went to college in boulder as well and the flood was a huge deal here in the front range um yeah boulder creek usually peaks at like um 800 maybe a thousand cfs on a normal year but it was um it was more like seven or eight thousand flowing through downtown boulder so the creek got huge and everybody in boulder totally freaked out there was um people people living along the creek were told to evacuate their houses um you know everything was shut down people were like fighting floods out of their basements and whatnot um but uh we took the opportunity to take our kayaks out <laughs> and go paddle, go paddle through downtown Boulder um, in the middle of the flood, and that was one of that was one of the best whitewater experiences of my life for sure. Pretty unique, <laughs> like any good kayaker should. <laughs> when did you migrate away from kayaking? I don't. I think I've only seen you in a kayak maybe one or two times, and it's always been on a board. What what? Where did that migration happen? Um, as teenagers, we were way into kayaking, play boating, um, class five, whitewater paddling, all over the all over Colorado every summer, you know. Um, but never got like super into the heavy competition. Um, dabbled a little in slalom kayaking, a little bit in play boating competition. Um, um, my dad has a huge history in wild water racing, so downriver kayak racing. You know, I don't know if it, people are familiar with that type of boat, but big, long, like 14-foot-long fiberglass, super tippy boat down the river as fast as you can. Um, so my brother and I got pretty into that, but um, but then, let's see, it was when I was like 19 or 20, so like seven years ago now, <clears throat> Um Zach Hughes and Mike Harvey in Salida started um, paddling paddle boards on the Arkansas River. And um, I spent a ton of time in Salida. And uh, those guys are some of my good friends. I've known them forever. Um, so I started doing it with them. And so Mike Harvey kind of got me into it, started playing around on his boards. And um, I think it totally consumed me <laughs> because uh, it's super new and exciting, saw a lot of potential in the sport and also got into it at the very, very beginning. So, and, and it came easy to me cause I understood whitewater so well and I have pretty good balance. Um, so it came really easily. So I immediately was excited because I was one of the best at it. You know, that's exciting and just saw the potential and a really cool, new, exciting way to enjoy the river new way to bring friends on the river. So um, I kind of just totally transitioned. Driving my van across the country, I didn't have a single kayak on my roof anymore. It was four paddle boards instead. So it's a pretty epic transition for me. Still love kayaking, though. What was everybody saying, like those super early days when you guys, I mean, because that was sort of a, you know, really a hot, hot spot as far as pioneering whitewater SUP, like, what kind of looks were you getting? What kind? What were people saying? Were there haters? Was everybody loving on it? What was it like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the vibe in Salida is just so good, you know. 
Um, everybody's supporting each other if you're on the river doing anything at all. So the, the vibe was good, and people thought it was cool that we were, we were trying new stuff. Um, especially Zach was so good at river surfing. Um, Salida, everyone thought that was really, really cool. Um, and then, yeah, so then, I mean, the second year I was into it, I just took it to the next level. I was like, what can I possibly do? And so I was just trying to send the NAR and, like, do stuff. And, you know, I was, you know, we were usually performing better, at least us, you know, the Bad Fish crew, usually performing better than people would expect. And so it was, uh, people were stoked on it. Yeah, I mean, not to say that there wasn't a shit ton of carnage and swimming and everything, too, but, yeah. Well, we Give me one of the worst case scenario swims you had in those early days trying to figure it out. Oh, um, well, I was smart and like, you know, mo most of the learning I did in um, white water parks, you know, safe environments. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. So we're, we're in Boulder and, you know, at that when I was first getting started, it didn't have any um, really uh any bad fish boards of my own um and uh so my buddy and i in boulder we just took like 12 foot long like pretty shitty inflatable paddle boards up into um upper boulder canyon which is like solid class four four plus um we did it we did it at kind of a high high water level and you know we had we had like nine inch plus fins on the bottom of the boards and um, it was just a complete, complete disaster. We like we we swam basically the whole thing. I think I broke two of my ribs falling on a rock, and and just looking back on that now, it's like what were we thinking on these twelve foot long boards? We hard, you know, we could hardly control them with these huge fins hitting every single rock. It was it was complete carnage. So try to take you know smaller steps after that. <laughs> leash or no leash. Uh, always leash for me. Um, I especially like straight leashes as short as possible. Um, uh, bad fish has got to, uh, the re-leash. Um, they make it at six, six foot, um, straight. And I like that because, um, I mean the re-leash, you attach to your life jacket and you can pull the pin. You get into a bad situation and you can always reach it. It's right there at your side. Um, and yeah, even when I, if I go and paddleboard a creek or like boulder creek i always wear the leash because i know i know i can release it um but and, and losing your your board like your board can be your lifeline in a lot of ways and um if you lose your board you can get in a much worse situation you know um so and then even more so in big water like anytime paddling something like the grand canyon it's like i can't imagine not having a leash like I'm literally always pulling on the thing to get back to my board, climb back on. You know, it just makes recovery time way, way quicker. Let's talk about the Grand Canyon. Let's start from the top. When did you get the idea? I'm going to take my board down the Grand Canyon. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I had um, rafted the Grand Canyon twice um, when I was a teenager. Um, and so I kind of knew what it was like. I knew what to expect. Um and then I was finishing my uh, undergrad um, at CU, and my older brother Mason got a last-minute cancellation permit um, for a December Grand Canyon trip, which, you know, <clears throat> it's the desert, but 
gets really cold down there in the winter. Um, and so, and he, he had work and other friends had work and we had, I had to get back to school and graduate. So we're like, okay, we're going to do this thing in six days. Um, so that means no rafts cause they can't go fast enough. So just self-support. So it was five of us, four kayakers and me on a paddleboard, um, gear strapped to the front of the board, went for the 12 foot long board so that I could go fast enough on the flat water to keep up and make that six day deadline. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was at that point, I was, it was right at the beginning of my whitewater sub career. So I was just super stoked on trying anything that other people would do. Like my friends would do in a kayak, I would want to do on a paddleboard. So that's kind of what got me out there on the board. And I was like, yeah, you know, people, a couple people have paddleboarded in the Grand Canyon before, but nobody's done the f- every single inch of of it on the board, self-supported in six days. So I knew I was, you know, doing something um, that no one had else had done before. So that was exciting. Um, that trip was insane. I could go into some more details on that specific trip, but then also I've been down the Grand Canyon um, another three times since then that have been a lot more chill rafting trips, 20 days, bring all your friends, all the beer kind of trip. Um, but I, of course, bring the paddleboard, row in the raft for a lot of it, but I still uh, get on the sub for every single one of the big, big name rapids. Usually run it on the raft, run back up and run it on the sub. So that's kind of where most of the videos and stuff have come from is from those trips where I'm on, you know, a shorter uh, board that's more stable than that that longboard I took the first time and um, the whitewater w- was a lot more successful those times around. <laughs> so let's let's back up to that first first trip. So just to fill our our listeners in, that's you're doing what forty miles a day, something like that. Yeah, average averaging forty miles a day. Yeah, it's two hundred and twenty six miles. We did it in five and a half days. Okay, so you've got a couple of dry bags stashed on the front of your boat. Obviously, your Groover. What mm-hmm. were the park rangers saying? Oh, um, well, he checked out all our gear. You know, those guys are pretty much just all business. Um, I think he definitely had a little bit of a smirk when he looked at the. The paddleboard with, with the, the gear stacked on the front um and he definitely made note of what it looked like and everything just to you know in case he had to collect my carnage a couple days later <laughs> so you make that trip i'm sure on the 12 foot board there was plenty of swimming action um but i'm sure you you grease some stuff too i'd imagine yeah um, i mean um it's that that big water is like if you read it right and you can predict things it's it's you know easier than it than it looks in a lot of ways um but yeah the 12 foot board made it hard if you can imagine the stack of gear on the front anytime a wave would crash onto that it would just <laughs> stop me or hit me from the side so that made it hard but yeah yeah i mean a lot of the class the class you, you know grand canyon um cl- class scale is is up to 10 Whereas usually it's just six. Um, so yeah, I greased a lot of the class five, six stuff, but got real, real worked on some of the bigger ones in, in that first self-support trip. Definitely. So are there any, through all of your trips down there on the board, have you cleaned all the rapids? Is there any of them you haven't made it through? Um, yes, I've never made it through crystal. Um, 
I've uh, on the last trip, I finally stood all the way through Hermit um, and Lava. And the trip before that, I cleaned Granite. So it's collectively, I've cleaned Hermit, Granite, and Lava, which are three of the biggest, but never Crystal. Um, that one's that one's my nemesis. Dude, I think I mean people talk about Lava, and Lava has a good reputation. It's definitely, but I think Crystal's the hardest rapid out there. I mean, this yeah. Is a kayak. Yeah, yeah. I think definitely the hardest rapid in the Grand Canyon to paddleboard. Also, it's the only place that I've ever flipped a raft in my life, a, a raft that I was rowing with a bunch of gear. It's the only place I've ever flipped a raft at all, also in Crystal. Where, <laughs> at the top wave? No, no. Was, um, this was in 2016. had my girlfriend and her friend on the, on the raft, which <laughs> of <course>. adds, adds <laughs> an element for sure. Uh, um, yeah, greased the entrance. Um, and uh, then... I had left my paddleboard halfway through the rapid on a beach on the on the right because um, I had paddled it first in the paddleboard and and Crystal's such a long rapid that I that I just pulled over and left it there so it'd be easier. Um, anyways, so I was like a third of the way through the rapid rowing the raft and I decided to to turn the raft sideways and go row over to my paddleboard halfway through Crystal. <laughs> Looking back, that was pretty stupid. Because as soon as I turned sideways, I caught I caught like a little mini curler, and it just surfed me straight into the wall on on river left. So we flipped on the wall, which oh. which, which was kind of scary for everybody. And oh, it's, that's gnarly on the left over there. Yeah, it's not where you want to swim. There's like gnarly swirlies and everything. My my girlfriend spent some time underwater, so it's kind of ugly. <laughs> oh dear. So <clears throat> you go down the Grand Canyon. You've taken your paddleboard down it. You've self-supported it in six days. You had to have been tired. I mean, oh, that yeah. had to have just worn your ass out. That that trip was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, it had to have been. I mean, just like, I mean, so would, you had to have like just like got on your butt at some point. I mean, how did you like rest up or were you on your feet paddling through all that those flats the whole time? Yeah, always on the feet. Um, I mean... I just, I just think that's way more comfortable uh, as far as paddleboarding goes to be standing up rather than on my knees on the board. Um, yeah, so standing up, you know, unless I was recovering um, from a swim partway through rapid, get on the knees first, straighten the board kind of thing. But besides that, it's um, always on the feet and definitely paddling into every rapid on the feet. Never, never, always attempting the stand rather than going for the knees from the get-go. And um yeah, the first day was 50 miles. We paddled the first day into the night. Um, I, I've never been so exhausted in my life. You know, there's the the paddling trying to keep up with the kayakers on the flat water, and then the swimming is so exhausting. And I was like delirious. I was even like falling off in just some random little riffles and stuff. And then came around a corner, and my buddies were ahead of me. And then there's this epic party going on on the beach. Um, this this rafting trip there was they were on a 28 day trip and they brought everything they brought so many rafts all the bells and whistles like they were grilling up burgers and steaks and they they yelled at us to come over we ended up having like a a disco party and (laughs) and partying with them that night it was like the perfect ending to to 50 miles of pain yeah you got all nice and rested up for the next four days yeah (laughs) so you've done these trips down the canyon and at what point 
was it a good idea to get in the inner tubes and go through lava? <laughs> like I saw this on your Instagram. I saw this on your gram and I was like, what in the hell? So who was that and what brought that on? Uh, well, um, tubing is also a big part of my life. Uh, it seems, you know, yeah. <laughs> like we, we, our crew in Boulder and in Colorado, kind of me and my friends and my dad, especially we've gotten way into whitewater tubing, we kind of take it to the next level for sure. The next level Boulder Creek come Boulder Creek comes up and we're the only ones out there tubing it, you know, you know, solid class four and, um, and so it made sense to bring the tubes on our our past two trips down the Grand Canyon. It's like tubing is so underrated and so much fun, and it's just goofy, and you can laugh at it, and you, and you can laugh at each other. Um, but you know, it does re- require a certain amount of skill, especially when you start hitting crystal and lava in the tubes. Um, <laughs> so, so I just. Uh, just mainly it's just so so fun like tubing tubing through hermit is one of the the best experiences of my life no joke any anyway so that was just me and one of my buddies tubing through lava and um you know just put the head down floated right into that thing and uh um and didn't expect to be upright at the bottom and next thing we knew both of us were still upright somehow and yeah, that was that. We were stoked. I'll put your Instagram handle in the show notes. You got to watch this video. They cleaned it. You guys greased it. I yeah. Mean, like... <laughs> Greased lava got worked in pretty much every single other big rapid on the tubes. But <laughs> <laughs> How many rapids did you tube? Did you tube horn? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had the tubes kind of deflated on the rafts for a, a lot of the flat water and stuff. Um, but we'd blow them up for any of the big name rapids. Um my friend, my friend that I actually grew up with in Boulder, he's not a he's not a kayaker, he's not a paddleboarder, he he's not a whitewater guy, but he loves tubing, and he he was in the in his tube in the water for probably at least 100 of the 226 miles on that trip. So so we tubed a lot of it. Oh, that just sounds pervasively fun. I'm not sure why. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> now it's epic. The the video and the photos of you. Um, you know, paddleboarding down the Grand are some of like the most spectacular I've ever seen on a on a paddleboard. Props for making that happen. Yeah. On the topic of your Instagram, I saw some recent pictures of a trip to Iceland that you took over there. Now, you went over to Iceland. Before we get into who you went with and kind of what the mission was, you left the tube and you left the paddleboard at home, and you took a pack raft. So. Tell me about that mesh and why you you pick that that piece of gear. Um, <clears throat> yeah, pack rafting is uh, becoming really popular in the whitewater community, and um, not even just in the whitewater community. Lots of lots of adventure athletes are are going for pack rafts um, for good reason. Um, you can go on on adventures in a pack raft that you you wouldn't be able to consider with a kayak or a paddleboard, um, you know, because you can, you can roll it up to the size and weight of a sleeping bag and, um, hike it in, you can bike it in, ski it in, um, blow that thing up and you strap your gear. You, you can even stuff gear into the tubes of the pack raft. You can actually carry a lot of stuff and you can get so, so creative with these adventures. Um, you know, the sky's the limit 
as far as you know remote places that you, remote rivers and creeks that you can get to um you know they the the crafts definitely have their limits when it comes to the gnarliness of the whitewater you can run um but besides that like you can get anywhere in those things so what was your mi- mission in in iceland what what what, what, were, what was the plan yeah, so that trip was really, really cool. So my brother definitely has a knack. He's two years older than me, so he's 30 right now. Um, he definitely has a knack for coming up with really creative, um, unique adventures that nobody's done before. Um, there's definitely a couple of examples of that. But um, this was one of his ideas. Um, so it was just me and him and our our childhood friend, Joey Schusler, who's a, a filmmaker, um, photographer, and uh, Joey, Joey doesn't have much whitewater experience, <laughs> so it's, he was a little bit over his head. Um, but uh, um, so, so the mission was to go source to sea on this river that is the name of it is pretty much impossible to pronounce. The spelling is insane. It's Mar- Marco Markarflo River in Iceland, um, um, southern Iceland, and. Um, yeah, source to sea. So it was six days. We we hiked in with the pack rafts. Um, we took a public bus to this hot springs and then hiked a really long ways to where we could um, first start um, floating the first bit of water that we could float the boats and paddled from there all the way to the ocean. It took six days and we paddled through the most insane scenery I've ever been in in my entire life. It completely blew my mind. So when you got to the ocean, were you, was there a town there or did you, what was your ending destination? Yeah, it was kind of perfect. We took this public bus to the hot springs for the, for the start and hiked like not even that far to get to where we needed to be. And then we paddled into the ocean and then, and then we paddled like two miles along the coast to another bus station, another tourist spot and jumped on another public bus went and then went back to civilization it was brilliant. so easy brilliant so what do you do i mean you're just rolling with like a hefty patch kit out there do you have any do you, do you ever have any do you ever break your pack raft <laughs> yeah definitely um you know being able to roll your boat up to the size and weight of a sleeping bag definitely has its limitations when it comes to uh you know durability <laughs> um but um, Coca Pelli Packraft, that's the brand that we have. Um, they they made a heavier duty one um, that doesn't roll up quite as small and as light. Uh, and that's the one we brought to Iceland because we knew there's a lot of sharp volcanic rock and just gnar, and we're gonna be way out there. It's like, but I did end up ripping a hole in my Packraft um, just for one of the scouts. I kind of like dragged it up onto the rocks without much thought and just tore a big hole. And I was struggling with that for for a while um, because uh, um, Joey actually forgot to pack the patch kits. <laughs> so luckily, um, luckily we had some gorilla tape. So it was kind of a it was kind of a battle for me for the rest of the trip, but it, it worked out. Oh, rugged! So you were constantly every night drying it out and repatching it, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh well, epic. What was the landscape like on this river? Oh, it was it was something straight out of Lord of the Rings. You know, it was um, 
Very, very rugged, barren. You know, the weather there is so intense. Um, this was August, the middle of the summer. It was still just so gnarly. <laughs> like Iceland is is a brutal place. Um, anyways, so uh, there's no trees, um, uh, hardly any big plants at all. There's uh, moss everywhere, 600 species of moss in Iceland. So just everything is green, but like this weird, like, uh, you know, no trees kind of green <laughs> and, um, and barren. And the, the only real wildlife we saw is all these sheep just roaming. They just, they would like walk along these cliffs that there's like no way we would climb on, you know? And, um, so lots of sheep and, um, lots of wild berries and stuff. But the, 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 the canyon was, we went through multiple canyons that were just spectacular. Can't even put it into words. Um, and just so unique, the landscape, um, like nothing I've ever seen. So that was definitely the highlight of the trip was just what we were looking at. And then there was also some really fun whitewater on that river too. It was great. Like classic, like I've seen in the past waterfalls out of Iceland or was it? Yeah. Iceland is, Iceland's super famous for its waterfalls. Um, for good reason. There was tons of waterfalls coming in from tributaries, um, and then on the river itself, uh, there's one, the two huge waterfalls that, um, you know, one that we would not consider in our kayaks, one that we would consider in our kayaks, but certainly not in the pack rafts, two that we portaged. And then um, one small one that was like the perfect little hucker uh, drop for a pack raft. <laughs> how, how tall is that? Uh, that was about 20 feet. Nice. Um, so my brother, Joey walked around that one, but my brother and I dropped off of that cleaned it that felt pretty good that was that was and then and then further down once the river got bigger and the canyon got deeper um you know so remote like literally we were we were pulling over and hanging out in places that probably no one's ever stepped foot before because kayakers haven't been there because it's so remote and um hard to get to in a kayak uh and you know hikers can't get down there anyways there's some solid class four four plus white water in the bottom of this one canyon and that got pretty rowdy too i'm intrigued with the pack rafting yeah it's great i'm gonna have to give it a go what what did your rig weigh like full food full everything when you were hiking into the start of that trip um yeah it was like carrying a small human so (laughs) i don't know like 80 pounds and is it and is it tucked in pretty nice i mean do you feel like you're carrying i mean outside of the weight is it like you know is it all over the place and you're like you know bobbing and weaving or does it you mean the hiking or the yeah no the hiking like i'm just interested in i've done quite a bit of carrying my kayak into places and i'm interested in how much easier or how much more efficient you could be versus carrying a kayak because carrying a kayak sucks Oh yeah, it's I've carried a kayak into some remote places too and I hate it. Um this is it's a it's makes it's it's not even comparable. It's so, it's like backpacking. You're just backpacking with a little extra weight. Um especially with the with the rafts that we had, the ones that are more durable, they don't roll up as tight, they're a little heavier. For for, for that trip it was um, you know, a really big backpacking backpack basically is what you could picture. Um um, you know, on some of the other trips where you bring the lighter, the lighter pack raft, like it's just a normal backpack, 
you just hike in, you're on a backpacking trip, and then you blow that thing up and jump in the water. Um, also, I haven't been on too many pack rafting trips. My brother and Joey have been on a million. Um, they went to Mongolia and did a, a bike packing pack rafting trip. So they biked awesome. for mi- miles and miles, days and days with the pack rafts strapped to their handlebars and then and then got in the water and strapped their mountain bikes onto onto their <laughs> pack rafts and paddled out. And so I mean, I guess the possibilities are kind of endless. Yeah. You know? I definitely. mean, you can throw your skis in there, the whole nine yards. Huh. Mhm. Yeah, a lot of people do ski ski pack rafting adventures too. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. In the intro, we talked about you being an engineer. Tell me about that. Is it, this is your professional life, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've uh, I graduated from University of Colorado um, with a civil engineering degree, um, and I've worked uh, very variable part time for the past four years. <laughs> um, so that that means it's kind of like doing homework. So just getting the work done, turning it in on time, also not trying to take on too many projects, um, whatnot during paddling season. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so, th- so the background is, um, it's my dad's, uh, Gary Lacey. He's, he's a bit of a legend in the whitewater world. Um, he, it's his company that he started in the eighties. Um, and it's a whitewater park design company. Um, so designing in-stream, in-stream recreation for people of all types, um, you know, um, not not just kayakers, not just paddleboarders, but the entire community, um, bank work, bike paths, river access, that whole deal. So if anyone's ever been to Salida, um, is one of the iconic spots, or Reno, Nevada, um, just projects all over the country, almost always downtown um, in the middle of a, a city, um, just reconnects the community to the river. Um, while creating some pretty awesome um, whitewater opportunity for locals, um, for people learning to kayak or paddleboard or whatever, for tubers, swimmers, families sitting by the bank reading a book. Um, And yeah, so when I graduated with my undergrad, it was kind of a no-brainer to do that um, part-time while I was also pursuing my paddling career. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So... What makes a good candidate for a whitewater park? Like, how do these things come to come to being? Like, how does how does a whitewater park just happen? Um, <clears throat> well, almost always it's a um, a town, just a little municipal uh, government that um, some some parks and rec director or somebody um, in the community. Um, visits a place like Salida or a place like Reno and sees the Whitewater Park and like, that is cool. We want that in our town. We have a river flowing through our town that nobody pays attention to. Like, that's what we want. Um, So it's almost always they see another example and they contact us. Um, You know, every once in a while we reach out and to people, but almost always it's people, cities contacting us, telling telling us that they want a a Salida whitewater park in their town, basically. Um, so that's kind of how it comes about. And then you, you go there and you do a site visit and it has to be drop obviously in their river through their town. Um, you know, they have to have some money to pay for it. They, um, you know, make sure everybody's excited about it. And, um, 
a lot of times there's uh, uh, a dangerous feature in the in the river, like a a low head dam. Um, <clears throat> more than half of our projects are modifications of dangerous, failing low head dams. Um, so, you know, um, that that is another really awesome advantage of it is, um, you know, we can modify these dams that were like killing people a lot of the time turn it into a, a crazy awesome amenity for the community have you ever had a situation like this so they're building this bridge right near the river in Asheville here on the French Broad you've mm. paddled this section do you know where we started the um, distance race at the Battle yeah. of the Broad at that park so mm -hmm. maybe I don't know 100 yards down river through those rocks I don't know if you remember those rocks in that section they're putting a yeah. bridge there and they're putting a pylon in the bridge two pylons in the river and i was thinking man there should be some kind of like mitigation effort or something where you know as part of putting this bridge and these pylons in the river you have to do some kind of improvement have you ever seen any kind of model where it's someone's going to build something or affect the river in a certain way and part of sort of the clause for them being able to do that in a public waterway they got to make some kind of improvement yeah, um, there's there's some stuff that can relate to that. Usually, it's an environmental thing. Um, um, you, you always have to apply for all kinds of permits for these projects anytime you're you're in the water. Um, um, and floodplain stuff, like you, you're you're not allowed to raise the floodplain at all. Um, so they got to make sure they're not doing that. You know, the hundred year floodplain. Um, but yeah, in, environmental stuff, like if you're if you're taking away a certain amount of uh, uh, open waters of the u.s is basically how they put it then you have to like create some other environmental asset or create some other w waters of the u.s um that's the only thing i can kind of think of that relates in that but usually a bridge um you know if it's not it's not raising the hundred year floodplain and it's it's a needed thing for the community um usually they don't have to do do anything else as far as um you know social as far as social aspects go to to account for that i'm just trying to figure out a way to get a whitewater park right near my house oh yeah <laughs> I, I feel you on that one um yeah the house that i grew up in in, in boulder as i said is right on boulder creek and somehow a, a really awesome feature ended up in the backyard i don't know how that happened <laughs> um throughout your your time paddling it sounds like i mean god you've been in a boat for what 20 years now or something i mean you've been on whitewater for a long period of time what's uh what's your high yeah what's your... um i'm 20, 28 you're 28 now i'm 28 yeah old as dirt <laughs> uh what's your uh what's the highest moment of your paddling paddling career what are you the most proud of or, or something that sticks out at the top oh um definitely a couple things come to mind um just on a personal note as like as far as proud of myself um i don't know uh 2016 i had a really really awesome year um uh traveled all over the country um and up into canada and did some of the craziest things i've ever done on a paddleboard and um uh, also also crushed it in a lot of the the river festivals and the races and everything you know won a bunch of money you know 
dominated the GoPro Mountain Games, um, FibArc, all the whitewater races. Um, so that that was that was a really awesome year. Um, but kind of the, the the way I like to think of it is, um, I'm proud of you know being a pioneer for a cool new sport and getting a lot of people excited about it. Um, the main reason why I like seeing the videos blow up on the internet is because. I know the sport is getting um, a lot of eyes on it, and people th- um, think it's cool, and you know that that you know really helps the future of the sport. So I'm definitely proud of that. Um, and then you know just to, on a local community note, like just being able to bring all of my friends on the river all the time. I've gotten I've gotten so many people that um, never would have you know been river people i've gotten so many people psyched about it and into it so that's what that's really what i like to look back on and smile about yeah what about the lowest moment what about the time you'd rather forget (laughs) um yeah definitely a couple of those uh i've had a lot of shoulder problems um dislocations i've actually had three shoulder surgeries um two on my right shoulder one on my left uh and so yeah, I've I've um, re-injured a shoulder, my right shoulder, um, after having a surgery. That was probably the lowest point, and it was also like right at the beginning of paddling season um, in 2017, and um, that that was rough because I had all these plans, and they you know I ended up having to just lay around for the summer, and that was that was rough. Definitely recommend paddlers take care of their shoulders starting from a young age always always plays a role in in the whitewater sports and i've had a real rough time with that for sure it's amazing how many athletes i've interviewed who have said their lowest moment was when they were dealing with an injury yeah it's hard for somebody who likes to be active how do you what's your best advice for keeping your shoulders fit um yeah well Paddling a lot actually is therapeutic, you know, but a lot of people can't paddle four times a week for, for the entire year. Like Dane Jackson can, but pretty much no one else can, can make that happen. Um, so, so you gotta, you gotta do your, um, exercises, you know, at home and whatnot, just like push ups here and there. So I just like having a, a pretty easy routine that I can crank out at home, um, that, that I can do for the rest of my life pretty easily. Um, so if you can figure out a, a routine, I like doing push-ups, pull-ups. Um, you can just look up videos online for sh- shoulder stability exercises. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I didn't consider it at all. I was like, Are you kidding me? 15, I'm not going to be trying to do physical therapy for my shoulder. But I dislocated my shoulder for the first time when I was 18. So, like, I think starting early is great you know if you got kids that are they're getting into some gnarly white water you know doing some big stuff um you know have them just crank out push-ups before they go to bed and um, get on that routine what advice would you give to a kid who wanted to go out and start paddleboarding on white water they're like you know what i want to go run this on a paddleboard i'm not interested like a like a young dominique williams or or someone what advice would you give them yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, in a lot of ways it depends uh, because uh, tons of people that get into whitewater sup are already rafters or already kayakers 
Um, and then a lot of people just see whitewater sup and they're like, oh, that's cool. And they've ne- they don't have any river experience at all. So I would say it depends on that. Um, you know, if you don't have any river experience and you're going out there to try paddleboarding on a river, um, which a lot of people do because it is in a lot of ways way more accessible than kayaking and rafting, you know. You don't have to learn how to roll. You don't have to buy a raft. You, you can just borrow friend's board and go try it out, you know. But um, if you don't have the river knowledge, you got to be careful. So <clears throat> I would say um, don't get in over your head. Definitely talk to someone that uh, that, that can maybe take you. Um, it would be great to find a mentor of sorts um, that can teach you a couple things and um, – and just take baby steps. That's what I did. I just started messing around in in the Salida Whitewater Park and honing my skills, like ripping across a, a, a current and practicing your eddy turns on a paddleboard and stuff. Like even though it's a Salida Whitewater Park at 800 CFS, like those skills transfer to the Grand Canyon. Um, so there's there's no sense in jumping into something that you're not ready for. Um, but yeah, I had some some great mentors, obviously, as I've said. Um, and so just sur- surrounding yourself with other people who are stoked on the same thing and um, watch them and learn from them, probably the best way to get started. What about just River SUP in general? I know a lot of the events are, have been canceled this year. I know we had to cancel the Battle of the Broad. What do you see as far as, as paddleboarding on the river? Yeah, I mean, this year is crazy. I mean, 2020 is obviously, a, hopefully, a, a one-off <laughs> kind of year. Um, everything's been canceled. You know, everything, all the events that I usually get excited for this time of year have been completely canceled or postponed till August when there's probably no water anyways. Um, so that is a major bummer. But um, as far as down the road and, like, the actual future, uh I mean, I'm excited about it because um, the the events, the annual events that I go to every year, like we've got a lot of river festivals in Colorado. Um, you know, as as far as the the, the number of people that that show up um, and compete and are stoked on it, uh, definitely are not dwindling. So that's good to see. Um, and then there's a, so so many people that don't give a shit about the competitive side of it that. Are bringing their paddle boards on their multi-day rafting trips. That's become a huge, huge thing that I've seen. On you know, you sit at your campsite and you watch you watch 15 groups float by, and almost every single one has a paddle board. You know, um, so I think that it has a pretty sweet future. It's definitely definitely here to stay, despite what some kayakers might hope. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, what do you think of these little inflatable river surfboards? I see those as being being a big thing in the future. You talk about packing something. I would like to take one of those and put it in the back of my kayak for a lot of trips. You know, and just stay at a place, camp there, surf, move to the next spot. Do you see that catching on? Um, yeah, I agree that that that's a really cool idea. Um, you know, there's the most high-end river surfboards are hardboards, you know, for good reason. You can get more, you know, exact with the shaping and whatnot. Um, 
But yeah, inflatable boards are have potential in so many other ways, just like you said. Um, yeah, roll them up, put in the back of a kayak. They're super durable. Like you can bring them anywhere. You can you can throw them on a flight super easily. Um, and uh, yeah, bringing those to remote places definitely um, something that I've done and um, got a lot more ideas to do. Uh, but yeah, the the, the kayak supported river surf trip that that might have to be one down the road (laughs) think think of the places you could get into you know some hidden waves that would be nearly impossible to get any other way definitely um let's talk about competition for a second so this year 2016 i think you were telling me that you won a ton of money or you know to someone living out of a sick previa (laughs) it was a lot of money that i believe you bought for a dollar isn't that right then you get one for a dollar. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a whole story behind behind Destiny is the name of the the minivan. Um, yeah, just got super lucky. Contacted a guy or saw saw the minivan in a parking lot at Escuria in Washington. Left a note on his windshield, said, "How much can I buy your Previa for?" Left my phone number. He called me that night, and he's this old retired skier dude. And he's like, "Yeah." You know, my wife and I were talking last night about getting rid of one of our previas, so I'll just sell it to you for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I I had never met him before or anything. He's just this really chill guy. Absolutely nothing wrong with the car. He took great care of it since he bought it in 1991. And oh, I've, I've been score. driving it for three years now and just ripping it all around the country, and it's been great. No issues. <laughs> Give me the benefits of a minivan. Why a minivan? Um, well, let's see van life as pretty much any adventure person has probably noticed at this point is awesome. And there's a lot of draw to van life. Um, you know, nobody's buying RVs these days, you know, vans are just easier. You can park them anywhere. You can, you know, it's just easy to take care of, uh, less, less money as far as better gas mileage and than an RV and stuff like that. Um, but minivan specifically, I mean, for me, when I first bought my first van, um, which was also a Previa, I've had two Previas now. <laughs> um, uh, it was, it was a money thing, you know, I, I bought a used minivan and, but, um, I mean, it's a, there's a, a huge draw to it. It's just, um, easy to deal with. You pop open the back, you can cook out of the back. It's mostly like open air living. So it's definitely different style than like the sprinter van life which you can stand up inside um but yeah it's just easy to deal with you can you can use it as your around town car super easily also um so it's kind of just you know more versatile and you can fit a lot of stuff into a minivan or on top of a minivan too (laughs) take it from me i lived out of that thing for five months straight and you can bring a lot of stuff yeah you know they're they're kind of branded as the soccer mom deal, but God, I just think that's so far off from what they're capable of. Oh yeah, I mean, soccer mom's got it figured out. They picked the correct vehicle, I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the competition. You know, 2016. What were you doing to get in shape? Like, what what were what was your secret sauce to to making it all happen? Like looking back, or even now, you know, how do you how do you get fit? How do you get to the top of your game? Yeah. Um, yeah. So for a lot of paddlers, you know, especially like living in Colorado where 
during the winter, there's no water in the rivers. It's freezing. So you're not going to be paddling per se, unless you go like hammer on the reservoir, which you can only do, um, um, so much before you get tired of it. Um, so yeah, I know every spring I, I, I know I've got the, the calendar out. I, I see these events coming up and so I get so excited and so stoked to get into shape and start training for this stuff because competition really gets me going and um, it has my whole life i've been i've been a competitive athlete in a bunch of different sports my whole life so that's kind of where that background comes from um i uh uh so i just get stoked for the competition that really drives me to get into shape um for me my winter sport it one of my winter sports is Nordic skiing, Nordic ski racing. So I don't know how familiar you are with that sport, but it is like it's the hardest physical endurance sport that there is. So <laughs> that's my secret sauce is, is Nordic skiing and racing during the winter. Um, yeah, I, I raced all through college, and um, so it's kind of been, been my winter thing. Multi-sport's huge. You know, because yeah. the thing is, just like you say, like if you can't get stoked about doing something, you're not going to be good at it. If, if, if you can only, like you say, go to the lake so many times, you know, but if you're fired up about getting up in the mountains or going out on the skis, then you're going to get way more out of it. What yeah. about, uh, what about sponsorship? How have you uh, approached sponsorship and have you had much luck with that? I know that, you know, all whitewater sports are a pretty small industry. It's not like we're. You know, it's not like Nike and whatnot is throwing around a bunch of money at that kind of sport. But what's been your approach to that, and where have you found success? Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, anybody who's familiar with you know trying to be a professional in whitewater sports knows that it's um, really difficult. There's not a lot of money being thrown around. Um, yeah, for me, it's. Uh, for the first couple of years, I just um, I had some money saved up, and I was working here and there, um, part time, engineering, designing whitewater parks, like I said. So I had some money, um, and and then after my first year was was really successful, lots of videos went viral, like got some really cool photos. Started to just send emails to different brands. Um, you know, I got in with Badfish super early. Um, because I, I'm really good friends with Mike and everything, um, Mike Harvey. Um, so it was kind of just like get gear for free and pay for travel on my own, which is probably, that's what most, um, traveling whitewater athletes do. Um, which is hard, you get, you know, really hard, <laughs> not necessarily making any money unless you, you know, um, win a race, you know, and a lot of the races are hardly any cash payout and, um, uh, nowadays, now that I've, you know, had a number of successes, I find it a lot easier. You know, it takes a lot of time, um, a couple a lot of years of, of being at it, uh, and, and the sport has changed so much throughout and whatnot. So nowadays I, I kind of get, I get, uh, travel expenses paid for, um, free gear, but, uh, still not making any money. Certainly, certainly in the negative on, the, <laughs> on, the, on the whitewater, uh, professional paddling yeah <laughs> no i don't think you're in the minority there um tell me about the river life the culture of people on the river we have a lot of people who listen to the show who are trail runners or mountain bikers 
you know, you've got this kind of connection to the Nordic ski area. How would you describe the culture of, you know, river life compared to other sports and, and other things that you participated in? Yeah. Um, the river community is awesome. You know, uh, I like, like you're saying, I've been involved in Nordic skiing, Alpine skiing, um, lots of mountain biking, running cross country, um, lots of different, um, sports. I did, did some adventure racing for a lot of years. Um, and, uh, yeah, the whitewater community is, um, very relaxed. It's kind of like the river life translates to just relaxed, nice, people um supporting each other in general um um and you know just it's it's not a a huge community so that you know there's just no room for like um people (laughs) hating on each other like you see in the ocean you know i especially since the paddleboarding and the river surfing started um in the whitewater community like art that community is tight everyone it's like so great supports each other um and so then you draw this comparison to between like you can call it paddleboarding river surfing on on the river you draw that comparison to the ocean community um and there's so many differences you know like i don't i don't know if you knew but i actually moved to california and i've been spending a ton ton of time in the ocean and um there's a lot more room for hate out there in the ocean than there is in the river you know uh and um so that's that's something that's that's near and dear to my heart is just you know knowing that the river community is like that you know if if someone's ever on the river um being you know you know hating on somebody that's like <laughs> where'd you come from like who are you like, <laughs> like how did you how did you even get to be here on the river like there's no there's no way and, and a lot of times it's actually can be someone with a who moved inland from the coast that kind of has that ocean vibe or is just visiting or something. Cause if you, if you grew up around rivers and in the whitewater community, it's like, it's just good vibes all the way around. Yeah. Whitewater makes good people. Yeah. I don't know what it is now. Very good. Um, it looks like you're there at the office. We're probably going to wind this thing down. Are you at work right now? Uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, my 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 life recently has been crazy probably like most most people's in this in this pandemic um i i actually am currently in grad school at berkeley um so i was living in berkeley then the virus started and then i moved um back to santa barbara doing online school and santa barbara is where my girlfriend lives so i was doing cranking out online school with her and then now we both moved back to Boulder, so I'm actually in Boulder right now, um, mostly doing school, a uh, little bit of work on the side. Yeah. So what will happen? You'll go back to Berkeley when all this is over? Yeah, kind of uh, have the summer off of school, so um, I'll spend a lot of time here in Colorado when the rivers come up, then zip back out there in, in August and crank out another semester, assuming, uh, assuming we can all get together by then. One last question here. I'm in the market for a board, for a new board to take down Section 9. What should I be looking at? Give me a recommendation. Section 9. Love that section. Uh Good stuff. Um, Yeah, I would say got to go inflatable um, for a number of reasons. Uh, 
like I was saying earlier, super durable, super easy to deal with. Um, the the designs have come a long ways. Inflatable paddle boards are really high performance. Um, and then there's different versions like uh, racier paddle boards, surfier paddle boards, then just the like crush the whitewater stuff. Um, so without a doubt for paddling downriver on an inflatable paddleboard through whitewater, the river shred um, is stands out above any other inflatable whitewater paddleboard for sure. Badfish river shred, that thing crushes. I, that's the one I use to clean granite, hermit, and lava in the Grand Canyon. So, so it works. Yeah, works. Can hit it on rocks just fine. Which there's a lot of rocks in section nine. I know. <laughs> we'll close this down here with a shout out to any sponsors or anybody you'd like to uh, give a shout out to, and where our listeners can follow you in the future. Yeah, um, a big shout out to Bad Fish Sup in Salida, Mike Harvey, Zach Hughes. Um, not only have they been supporting me with gear, but um, they got me into the sport. Um, they've been huge mentors in my paddling career. And then, of course, uh, recreation engineering and planning, which is my dad's company, um, and and my dad who got me into rivers and basically just fostered my love for rivers from a very young age. Um, shout out to to those guys. Um, and uh, yeah, um, mostly as far as social media goes, it's uh, Instagram for me at Spencer Lacy. There's no E in my last name; it's just L A C Y. Nice. Well, yeah. thanks for coming on the Hammer Factor, Spencer, and stay.